Good morning. I'm Lauren Anders Brown, an independent documentary filmmaker. Being behind the camera in over 40 countries has resulted in hours, days, terabytes of footage. So much of what happens to make a shoot possible ends up on the metaphorical cutting room floor. Most of my editing used to take place in planes, trains, or whatever available coffee shop had a decent filter single origin coffee and always using the hashtag today's office. Now I am picking up the scraps, reviewing old interviews, and scrolling through my social media to give you a behind the scenes look at what it is like to travel, produce, film, direct, record, alone, as my own correspondent. It was November 2018, and I was on the rooftop of my East London apartment. It was chilly, but manageable, albeit aided by the warm mixture of hot water, a dark spirit, and some honey. It was my first real Guy Fox night, and as the first firework went off in the distance, so it began. Guy Fox night is to commemorate the failed attempt to blow up the House of Lords. Guy Fox was preparing for war when he stockpiled gunpowder in a building near his target where he was arrested. Every year, fireworks go off to commemorate this, and this year, as I turned around the entire 360 degrees of the rooftop, I could see fireworks going off in every direction. With each pop and bang, I admired the beauty and brilliance of them and acknowledged the privileged safety and security I felt at being able to do so. For in a few short hours, I would be boarding a plane to a place where those same sounds would not elicit those same feelings. At 3 a.m., I boarded a flight on Ukraine Air to Kiev and connected onto Kharkiv, where I landed about the time I would normally be having my first cup of coffee. Did they even have coffee in Ukraine? Since it was a trip for only two nights, I had not thought to check about the beverage etiquette in Ukraine, and so was beyond grateful that the first stop on our itinerary was breakfast, to which I gave an energetic spasiba. One of the local staff I was working with commented on my pronunciation, saying it with a perfect Ukraine accent. Ukraine borders Russia to the east, and I was a mere 30 kilometers from the border in Kharkiv, and was about to get considerably closer throughout the next few days. The Russo-Ukraine War began in 2014, when Crimea, once part of Ukraine, was annexed, and separatists within Ukraine created conflict and allowed Russian troops to march over the border. The very border I was 30 kilometers away from, and getting closer to by the kilometer. We drove out of Kharkiv and into the countryside, where a lot of the work remained. Not necessarily physical battlefields, although there was areas we were surrounded by, but the invisible ones that were found inside the homes. In that drive, I learned about the high rates of gender-based violence that gripped Ukraine. 75% of women had experienced violence by the age of 15, and one in three women experienced sexual or physical violence. They were the highest rates of anywhere I felt I had been in the world. I was shocked, angry, and felt helpless 
as I stared out the car window at the gray, flat fields that passed. I then saw what looked like a couple of buildings off in the distance as we passed by and did the cliche film director thing of asking if we'd be able to turn around. The car came to a stop alongside a bombed out multi-story building that looked to resemble the remains of an apartment building. It had an entire section missing as if it was cut like a cake and a slice was no longer there where you could see into every floor or every floor that remained and the wires dangling as if balanced in the air. Next door, the neighbors didn't fare any better. Instead of a slice of cake missing, they had the entire cake contents and top gone. All that remained was a Swiss cheese exterior. I got out of the car, wanting to avoid taking too much time from our trip for my precious B-roll, when a concerned voice asked me how I planned on filming the buildings. Curiously, I asked why and was reminded that landmines were still prevalent in eastern Ukraine. And that was my deciding factor to use my drone and avoid any missteps. With all body parts attached and accounted for, we got back into the car and continued on our way to our next interview amongst the gray and white simple Soviet structured buildings until we arrived in Luhansk, in the disputed Donbass region on the border with Russia. I was aware that evening we would be filming with survivors of gender-based violence, but had been unaware we'd be filming with a doctor, although that would always feel perfectly normal to me. A gynecologist named Natalia greeted us at the clinic and welcomed us into her office, where she already had chairs perfectly aligned in a circle to sit and have tea. Oh, it's no secret I have a natural affinity for coffee, but the mint herbal tea from Ukraine was a flavor that began to grow on me. It was chilly. It was November, after all, in Eastern Europe, and so the steam on our tea was a bit more noticeable than normal and had us linger in casual conversation before setting up for the interview. Dr. Natalia seemed so familiar to me, and apparently I to her. She said she was extremely nervous when she was told someone was coming all the way out to her clinic to interview her. But when I arrived, in her words, she said her nervousness went away as if her sister had arrived. I eventually set up my camera and attempted to interview Dr. Natalia. Now, I say attempted because as you're about to hear in the raw interview, there's no question asked. Just Dr. Natalia speaking to us about what she feels is most important in her work as a gynecologist in Eastern Ukraine. She told me, I'm a doctor, and I understand that there are unexpected diseases that are very difficult to treat, which are difficult to fight, and which end someone's life too quickly. This is understandable, and medicine is not always the answer. But there are problems when a person has psychological trauma and injuries, all because someone has the opportunity to offend, humiliate, and cause physical suffering to another person. And I think the Istanbul Convention signed back in 2011 is a step that will finally oblige the state to worry about women. Why am I talking about women? Because the statistics are accurate. 90% of the victims are women. So I looked at the statistics for 2017, and it hurt me to the core. Well, how does it feel to lose your life from injury, from violence? 
170 or 160 women died from domestic violence here. Not from medical issues, but died because someone decided so. These are unacceptable things, and this must be fought. Let this path be long. Let it be very long. But let it be. This issue should be on the agenda. Our medical life has changed a lot. Our mornings start when our midwives look at the documents showing who's delivered overnight, look at which medical department, what kind of help was provided, and we work directly with this person. You ask me, and I will tell you that 112 women have been admitted, and as a result of domestic violence. Of these, 15 are children or adolescents. We have a small town, and I understand that this is just the tip of the iceberg. How many have just cried, and that's it? And still 112 people were admitted. We work with these women. We invite them to the antenatal clinic. We are trying to determine their level of health. We are trying to help with family planning. We're trying to help with treatment if there are any problems. We are at different stages. Some women become our regular clients. Some cannot even decide to come to the antenatal clinic. But I want to say that we are trying different types of assistance for women who have been admitted to our hospital and as a result of violence. To be honest, even midwives who have completed special courses organized in Sabudonsk can provide primary health care in our hospital. What I want to point out, maybe it's unprofessional, but they come to me and say, Natalia Pavlova, it's a pity, my soul hurts, and we think about it at home. This problem happened today, but where should she go if this aggressor lives at home? We believe that it is very timely that we have such a shelter for women who have suffered from violence in our town. This is important to us, at least during this acute period, because where else can she go? She can't sit on the street, do you understand? She has to spend the night somewhere with her children and move away from this, and finally get enough sleep. This is our job. I want to say that our office was provided with everything. We can provide medical assistance. We can do examination. We can prevent an unplanned pregnancy. We can provide prevention of HIV infection, and we can provide assistance and prevention of STIs. That means people do not spend money on this. We have all this in the antenatal clinic. We are provided with all of this for today and for the future. But in any case, this is not a woman's problem. This problem is already solved. We are preparing a conference on this matter. We work with students, we have changed the direction of our learning, and we talk about the problem of domestic violence. We pay attention to the legislative acts and laws that exist in our country. We even change the examination and attention system when working with any patient because domestic violence is a latent problem. It's hidden. And society is trying to silence it too. Do you understand? And when we talk with students, we pay attention to how deeply this issue touches them. When we talk with students, we pay attention to how deeply this issue touches them. We say that we are at the beginning of the path. We are at the start. We, doctors, provide medical care, but I want to say that we will not stand aside from different information that we receive. Right now, we are preparing such an information series and we'll be doing a survey among students of secondary and higher education institutions. We have prepared a questionnaire, an article for the magazine, and we're actively involved. We will work to reduce, and perhaps one day, we'll be able to say that this is no longer there. Domestic violence. That's okay. 
Her interview was only 22 minutes, but it felt like it held so much more meaning and impact in the words she spoke. She made my job so easy by only having me ask one question. After our interview was over, I felt like it was too soon to leave Dr. Natalia, and she obliged me by letting me film some B-roll around the clinic and bid us farewell. And I gave her a very big spasipa. The next day, surviving the night, which included some Ukrainian equivalent to grappa, I was very lucky to dodge the vodka, I should say. I completed my filming in Ukraine and felt unsettled at the conclusion I came to as to why there was such a high proportion of gender-based violence in the country. And it was as simple as violence incites more violence. The protracted conflict in eastern Ukraine, as does conflict everywhere in the world, increases the violence everywhere, and that includes within the home. It was truly the population crisis Dr. Natalia explained so well. There's medicines and diagnoses for so many medical conditions in the world when it comes to population, but just not a single cure for when that population is attacked by some of its own. A sobering thought to leave with in light of World Population Day this week. July 11th was World Population Day, a day to raise awareness for the reproductive health needs of susceptible women. The first World Population Day took place in 1987, when the world hit the 5 billion mark. Now, over 35 years on from that day, we have more than 7.6 billion people in the world. More people means more needs, and more of a need to share more stories like the people of Dr. Natalia. Fulfilling this need of storytelling is Global Health Film, a not-for-profit that harnesses the power of storytelling to spark discussion and to encourage positive change by shining a light on stories. The Global Health Film Festival takes place in the first week of December during the 16 days of activism against gender violence and is actively seeking untold stories of all forms of gender violence from around the world. Submissions close mid-August. Visit globalhealthfilm.org to find out more and submit your film. And that's it for today. Back next month with more from my correspondent. Do join me.